All right. How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Feeling refreshed? All right, right on. Look at verse 18. It says, if possible, I'll read it all together. One, two, three, go. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Amen. The NIV says, live at peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord for today. Live at peace with everyone. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Live at peace with everyone. Now, this isn't just talking about relationships with those that are in the church. It includes everyone that you know, whether they're in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. Everyone. The Word of God says, live at peace with everyone. In uh, My Utmost for His Highest, which is a devotional, Oswald Chambers, he wrote that God engineers all the circumstances of the saints. This means that if you are walking in God's ways and you're seeking to do His will, people don't just come into your life by accident. They're put there by God on purpose. They are there by God's providence. And God brings various people into our lives for various reasons. Whether it's to test us, to build us up, to to release a hidden blessing, or to develop our potential. Amen? I mean, God sends different people into our lives for good reasons. And if all God did was send people into your life that just get along with you very easily, your spiritual growth will be very limited. And I mentioned this earlier at Hillside, but difficult people bring deep growth. Amen? Maybe you are a difficult person. Well, let me encourage you. You are, a, you are bringing deep growth into the lives of those around you. And if you want God to use the relationships in your life to refine you and bless you, we have got to learn how to do our part. To live at peace with everyone. We may look at somebody and say, you know, that coworker is just so irritating. I just can't work with him. I just can't do it. Or that boss is just so domineering. Yeah, I just I, I I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna put in my papers. Or my dad, he's hurt me so much. He's abandoned me, he's abandoned my family. I don't ever want to see him again. And the people we encounter in our lives, even the ones who are selfish in intent, that have the wrong motives, that have irritating habits, they are all allowed in our lives by God's providence. If you're walking in God's ways, God is engineering these relationships and sending them your way with a purpose. And if God allowed it, Romans 8.28 says, God can work all these things for your good, for your blessing. Hallelujah. But check it out. We have got to do our part to learn how to live at peace with everyone. You know, 
some of the people that are in your life right now that are the most irritating to you, that you have strife and beef with, these may end up becoming your future spouse. These people may end up becoming your new BFF. They may be positioned to bless you or to open up a new door for you in your life. God may be using their irritability to refine your character and leadership to ready you for your next assignment. What looks like a curse is actually a hidden blessing. But for those who refuse to live at peace with everyone, the hidden blessings remain hidden and the spiritual growth remains small. We've got to learn how to live at peace with everyone. You know, some people at this point may say, why should I live at peace with everyone? People don't do that with me. <laughs> and right on, you're right. You know, the, wor- the world does not follow the word of God. Amen? Or they don't follow the word of God. And they follow more common principles like, I got to look out for me. I got to look out for number one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sister, you got to stand up for your rights. You give her a piece of your mind. But check it out. They don't know the Lord like you do. They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them like you do. Hallelujah. They haven't submitted to the Lordship of Christ. They haven't experienced the love of God. Of course, they're not going to live by this standard. But, brothers and sisters, what sounds like foolishness to the world is the word of God to us. God calls us to live, even though we're tempted to do the same as the world, God calls us to live by a different standard, by a higher standard. And for to us who have the spirit of God, we, we can live at this higher standard. And this standard is to live at peace with everyone. It may sound impossible. People ain't going to applaud you for living this way. But as disciples of Christ, this is the principle that must govern our attitude toward relationships. Got to live at peace. Got to live at peace with everyone. You know, one thing that I have discovered in my marriage with Aaron, we've been married for about a year and a half in here. We have a couple married couples in here, actually. And uh, one thing I have learned from being married for a year and a half, and which I would advise to anyone who gets married, is that you cannot change your spouse. God doesn't give me that ability. And I realize God doesn't give me that responsibility either. What he calls me to do is simply to love and to serve. And to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. You see, if I only love her in order to change her, that's not really love. That's not God's love. See, God doesn't love you in the hopes that you're just going to change. He just loves you because he loves you. That's what agape, unconditional love of God is all about. And I realize I can't change my spouse. I can't change my wife. She's great right now. She's great. I mean, I don't want to change nothing about her. 
But yeah, we don't have that ability or does God call us to have that responsibility. God just calls us to live at peace. Not only with our spouse, but with everyone. And this uh, this, uh, principle that you can't change another person applies to all relationships. And when you see parents who don't understand this truth, they try to control their children through domination, manipulation, intimidation. Parents try to control their children to try to change their child. Or spouses, they nag each other when they should be kneeling in prayer. More kneeling than nagging. Amen? And instead of giving love, sometimes what do we do? We withhold it in the hopes that somebody else will change. Well, brothers and sisters, these are not the ways of the Lord. And if you think about it, God knows our entire hearts he knows what is in our hearts and he knows what changes that need to be made but yet the way god deals with us he doesn't nag us he doesn't try to control us he's not domineering he just simply loves us and 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 god loves to be at peace with us amen i mean he doesn't want you to go a day where you're not at peace with him it doesn't matter that you can't clean up your act overnight he wants to have peace with you every single day. He, he loves us so much. So what are some practical ways in which we can live at peace with our fellow man? Okay. And in this passage in Romans chapter 12, it gives us six practical ways in which we can be at peace with our fellow man. Let's start with verse 14. Romans chapter 12. Verse 14, six ways in which you can live at peace with everyone. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In order to live at peace with all, we have got to learn how to bless people. Bless and not curse. Bless those who bless you. That's easy. But bless those who offend you. That takes faith. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, when someone misaligns you, opposes you, insults you, Jesus commands you to love such people. Pray for such people and bless them. Just bless them. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? What reward would you get? How are you being different than anyone else in the world? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is the mark of a person that has Christ truly living in them. Amen? Amen? So next time someone mistreats you, don't get all upset. Get all bejos. Or don't wallow in self-pity and think, man, how come this stuff always happens to me? Why are people always mistreating me? Okay, don't, don't, get, don't get stuck in that. Just bless them. Lord, such and such person has offended me this past week at work. They're saying all kinds of lies about me behind my back. They have taken away, they're threatening to take away my visa. They're trying to cut my pay. Come on, Hagwon teachers. Come on, there's injustices out there. It's not right. 
But Lord God, I'm not sure why they're behaving that way. But I just pray for them right now. And I pray you bless them with a fantastic day. I pray that you will not harm them. But bless them. Bless them, Lord. And I was saying this earlier at Hillside, that when you initially do this, you're going to feel fake. You know? You're going to feel like it's not real. And you know what? In a sense, yeah, it is kind of fake. Because you don't, you don't really mean it. You don't feel like you want to bless them. But check it out. More than it is fake, it is faith. When you choose to live that way. And the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. If you learn, brothers and sisters, if you learn to bless and not curse, God's blessing will continually flow into your life. You see, we are not just saved by grace. Our salvation is not only by grace, but every good and perfect gift, every blessing you receive on earth is also received via his grace. And if you will walk in his ways and live in the place of mercy and forgiveness and blessing your enemies, if you live in that place, then God will deal with you in his grace. But if you deal with others with judgment and unforgiveness, then God will also deal with you in judgment. For Jesus said, Matthew 7, 2, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Brothers and sisters, we have got to learn how to bless. Bless and do not curse. Second way that we can live at peace with everyone. Uh, if you read here, Romans twelve fifteen, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The second way in which we can live at peace with everyone is to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, when something good happens to your enemy, rejoice with them. What? Why would I ever do that? Because it's how you live at peace with them. Is you rejoice with those who rejoice. If they just got engaged and congratulate them. I ain't congratulating them. They've been gossiping about. No, congratulate them. Rejoice with them. If they lose a family member or something bad happens or they, they have some kind of failure in their life, then weep with them. This is the way that we can live at peace with everyone. How would you feel if you get a promotion and then you announce it at your workplace and everybody responds with apathy? Nobody cares. How would you feel? You will feel disappointed and hurt by every person in that room that failed to respond and rejoice with you in your rejoicing. Or what if something bad happened to you and nobody showed you any compassion? Think about how deep that hurt will go. And what the church, we got to realize, brothers and sisters, is the joy and the comfort that we can give is powerful. It is so powerful. No other religion on earth can come close to the joy and comfort that Christians can give. What we have on our hands is powerful. The joy that we release to people can set them free from depression and disease. The comfort that we can give a person that's weeping can save them from death and hopelessness. 
Live at peace with everyone. Learn to rejoice. Celebrate. Celebrate the victories of, yes, even your enemies. Rejoice with them. Weep with them. Third way in which we can live at peace with everyone is in verse 16. Romans 12, 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Isn't there a song that has the lyrics? Live in harmony. Oh, let us be one voice. Glorifies your name. Let us be one voice. Declaring that you reign. Let us be one voice. In love and harmony. You know, when I was a kid, I used to say, love and harmony. <laughs> People would be like, shut up, man. I'm trying to praise God. Anyway, live in harmony with one another. What does that mean? Living in harmony with one another means living in agreement with each other. Many times in our lives, we are going to have disagreements with people. Amen? Uh, we are going to disagree. I disagree with the way you dress today. I disagree with the restaurant you chose. I mean, we're going to have disagreements. But living in harmony means spotlighting our agreements rather than our disagreements. The opposite of harmony is strife. Strife is an angry or bitter disagreement over basic fundamental issues. When we allow strife to rule our relationships, we waste all our energy on being upset over trivial issues. God doesn't call us to live with strife. He calls us to be at peace, to live in harmony with one another. Proverbs 17, 14 says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before a quarrel breaks out. Like a quarrel, an argument. It sounds weird when I say quarrel. Am I saying it weird? I know, right? How do you say quarrel? Quarrel. I don't know where I've gotten my accent. But anyway, quarrel. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife. Avoid strife. Some people, we are like magnets for strife. We are just so attracted to like strife. And, and you know what? I'm one of them. And I, growing up, I was a very, I'm just God, the way God made me, I'm a very confrontational guy. And I've never shied away from a confrontation. I mean, uh, I noticed that I always had a tendency to care more about being right than being in relationship with people. And so, man, I will argue. I argue, man. I argue, argue. And I realized that I will passionately win an argument but always lose hearers, right? And all my life, I grew up not choosing harmony but strife. And when I was when I was sometime in college, man, through some disillusionments and disappointments, the Holy Spirit began to show me that arguing for the truth was not always necessary. One, one because you're not always right. You know, because I argue for things that I don't, I just like they don't, I didn't even read about. Well, you know, I just I just have that kind of tendency. One, I could I could be wrong, and two, sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but look, not right now. And I love theology, I love orthodoxy, right doctrine. And I would 
die to defend the truth of the gospel. But I noticed that many times it's best to live in harmony with the people around me rather than airing out all my opinions and trying to convince everybody about my viewpoints. Proverbs 12.23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge. You know, sometimes people who get knowledge, they just want to let everybody know, Hey, here's my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to be prudent, you want to be, you want to be a man who lives at peace with everyone, you got to conceal that. And you do a sneak attack. Boom, here it is. And then really convince people, you know. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. But and sisters, we got to live in harmony with one another. Get the strife out. Number four. Uh, the fourth way in which we can live at peace with everyone. Look with me in verse 16, the latter part. Do not be haughty. That means do not be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. If you li- want to live at peace with everyone, you cannot be stuck up and snobbish or conceited or you're too good to associate with those who consider to be lowly. You can't live at peace with everyone if you have that kind of attitude. God bless you. You know, if you have pride in your heart, you should fight that pride. All, right? All of us, we struggle with pride. Amen? And we, we, got to, we got to humble ourselves. We got to deny our flesh. We got to learn how to be humble. All of us are struggling with pride. But check this out. There are people that struggle with pride that are willing to associate with the lowly. And then there's people who struggle with pride that they don't even want to talk to them. Like the Pharisees, for example. They knew that they had pride. But, and they, they, they probably had, you know, they, had, they struggled with pride. They knew they were struggling with it. But guess what? They weren't willing to associate with the lowly. When Jesus was chilling and, 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 and parting it up, with prostitutes and tax collectors, they were like, what are you doing, Jesus? We fast and pray. Your disciples, what are you doing over there with these people? And they were not willing to associate with the lowly. But you see, brothers and sisters, if you want to live at peace with everyone, you got to be willing to associate with the lowly. Who do you think you are that you are just so good and you're just so, you're just such an important person that you can't, you can't talk, you can't talk to, what, yeah, what, how good of a, how good of an education do you have as a pastor that you can't talk to me just because I don't have a seminary degree? You know, like. I've been invited to speak at uh, certain churches. And when I've gone to certain churches, and even when I was in Australia, I was invited through uh, some alumni members that, that were there in Australia. And they, they were really blessed at our church. And so they spoke about, uh, you know, Pastor Christian, he's wonderful. You know, he brings the fire of God. You got to invite him. And so they invited me. I go over there. And I get introduced to the head pastors of these big Korean churches. Right? And I got a big smile. I know who I am. Okay, I know my identity. You can't touch this. Okay, and so you know, I go up. I don't know. I have no insecurity, right? 
And then they say, all right, nice to meet you, Pastor Christian. You know, we're so excited that you're here as a guest speaker. Oh, by the way, what seminary did you go to? And I go, I didn't go to seminary. But, you know, I'll be up in the school of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and they'll be like, okay. And it ends right there. It just ends right there. It's happened. And, you know, and I, I'm just... I'm just like, all right, all right, so you got a seminary degree. You got your master's degree. What, you think you're my master? No, no, you, you know, you're all well-educated. God bless you. But what do you got inside that you can't associate with me just because I don't have one? Like, right, right, you know, there's plenty of people that got degrees, but they don't got no anointing. I mean, I'll take the anointing over a seminary degree any day. As much as seminary degrees are very important, and you know, seminaries filter people that don't really have a call to the ministry, you know, and that's, that's good. You got to filter people because you can't just take everybody who wants to volunteer. The ministry is tough. You got to have a call to it. But anyway, brother and sister, we got to learn how to associate with the lowly. That's why when we coming in, I want everybody to insight to the quality uh, the jan- the janitorial staff guy here you know everywhere i go i make sure i check my heart am i willing to associate with the lowly am i just gonna pass over people or am i humble enough to bless them ask them about their day to greet them don't just greet those who greet you jesus said greet people hallelujah amen associate with the lowly it's another key to living at peace with everyone. Uh, the fifth way. Is, uh, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. The fifth way to live at peace with all is to never take revenge. Tell your neighbor that right now. Never take revenge. Don't do it. You're not Bruce Willis. Rambo. Man, so many good movies on based on revenge, amen. And there are so many. They're entertaining. <laughs> you ever see a, a Time to Kill? Samuel L. Jackson? Man, I love that movie, man. I was clapping when he shot the two guys. Okay, I'll explain it in my sermon right now. It's a biblical clap. All right, anyway. All right, what well, kind of? Well, I'll explain. Okay. Uh, brothers and sisters, the Bible commands us to never take revenge. If something evil is done to you as a child of God, that evil needs to be forgiven and dissolved by the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have got to learn how to release grace on the earth as we have received God's grace. And if you want to live at peace with everyone, we must put to death every single urge to take revenge. And I explained this earlier at Hillside. Wanting vengeance is not evil. In fact, vengeance is a cry for justice. Justice is good. And therefore, vengeance is good. If somebody did something really terrible to your spouse or to your family, you will have a natural cry for vengeance in your heart. God put it there. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. 
in, in the book of Revelations, the saints, they cry out for vengeance. Revelation 6.10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Every person that has died for the gospel, there is a cry for justice and vengeance. Hallelujah. Vengeance is good. But when vengeance is in the hands of man who is error prone and lacks omniscience, vengeance can get really ugly. Vengeance can be a very bad thing. The Apostle Paul tells us to leave vengeance completely up to God. Look at the last part of this chapter, Romans 12, verse 19 to 21. It's the verses that precede our main passage today. Look at verse 19 to 21. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. You know, this passage is giving us incentive to overcome evil with good. Because you see, when we are good to our enemy, we are making them ripe for God's wrath and judgment. Yeah, I said it. You really don't like your enemy? Be good to them. Because every time you give them a cup of coffee... Here you go, enemy. Let me bless you with a cup of coffee. Here you go. Every time you do that, the Bible says you are heaping burning coals on their head. And this is in the Old Testament, heaping burning coals. It represented punishment. So you're making people ripe for God's judgment by being good to them. And check this out. When you are good to your enemies, they may repent. Which is a good thing. When you're good to your enemies, they may not repent and face God's judgment and fury. Which is also a good thing, by the way. As you can tell, I'm a, uh, as the lead pastor of this church, I'm a Calvinist. I'm very strong in Reformed theology. Okay, And I do believe that Christ, he died to bring goodness and love to all of mankind. But there is a self, there's a ben, basic, there's like a general benevolence and goodness of God that the cross has released onto the earth that allows wicked men to have children and ha- families and homes and enjoy, enjoy good things on the earth when they don't really deserve any of that. But the cross not only brings general goodness on the earth, but it also brings salvific Love and grace on the earth. And the salvific love, I don't believe that God gives it to everybody. I don't think he's, he's upset and stressed out that he can't save everybody on the earth. If you look at the history of God with man, he's always been an electing God. What happened to all the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Amalekites that God commanded Joshua to eradicate? What happened to them? What, 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 God, God changed his heart at the New Testament and all of a sudden now he wants everybody to be saved. I'm telling you right now, God has always been an electing God. 
And it is God's grace. And it's love. And, and, and God makes it real simple. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Saying, God, how do you choose who gets saved? And God says, my prerogative. I don't have a system. It's not according to height. It's not according to income. All right? I just have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I love you because I love you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm teaching on Calvinist, Calvinism for a second. I, I kind of have to. come. Let me get off that rabbit trail. Let's come back, right? I, I did declare, yes, if you're enemy, you, you are good to them, and you make them right for God's judgment, and they don't repent. It is a good thing that they get justice. Getting just, get, having the repent, the wicked getting justice is not a bad thing. Maybe it's sad in some sense. If you're, if you're not Calvinist, it may be sad. If you're Calvinist, it's victorious. But it's not a bad, and I hope y'all don't, 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 uh, don't peace out on this church just because you're not a Calvinist. All right. You don't have to be a Calvinist to come out to ETN1 here. All right. All right, say the same thing on Hillside. All right, this is where this is where your church, your your pastor's theology is at. All right, um, but you're you you are all embraced, whether you are wherever you are in that journey of theology. Anyway, check this out. If your enemies repent, it's a good thing. If they don't repent, it's a good thing. But if you take revenge, it's a bad thing. Because the moment you take revenge, you don't represent Christ to a fallen world. You fail to forgive even though you've been forgiven. You, you forfeit all hope of, 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 of having peace with your enemy. And you bring judgment on your own head with the fresh evil you use to take vengeance. Never take revenge, brothers and sisters. If you want to live at peace with everyone, you must completely die to yourself when it comes to revenge. You're not abandoning revenge. You're delaying it. That's all. And you're leaving it completely up to the justice and completeness of God. The sixth and final way in which you can live at peace with all. It comes from verse 17. It says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Uh, brothers and sisters, when we give honor and we behave honorably, our relationships become filled with incredible peace. You know, the word of God says, honor your mother, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. What does honor have to do with life? Well, the Bible is telling us that life flows through honor. And this truth doesn't just apply to your parents. It applies to all relationships, including your relationship with the Lord. If you learn how to honor the Lord with an offering, with a fast, with your devotion, he will bless you with life and life abundant. Amen? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 8, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. When we give thought to do what is honorable, in the sight of everyone, this is a type of behavior that pleases the Lord and enables us to live at peace with everybody. 
So here, I just went over six ways in which you can live at peace with everyone. I want to encourage you to memorize them. Stop wasting all your energy getting upset, holding a grudge, allowing strife to steal your joy and peace, and start seeking to live at peace with everyone. I'm telling you right now, your health will improve. Your workplace will improve. Amen. Your relationships will get more rich if you will learn to live at peace with everyone. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Brothers and sisters, every person in here, male or female, you are sons of God. If you receive that, say amen. You are sons of God. The word of God says. And if you haven't heard, sons of God are peacemakers. Live at peace with everyone. You can go into places that have no peace, zero peace, hostility, estrangement. And you can make peace. Because the spirit of God is with you. If you're like an athlete and you join a football team and the team is just, there's no unity. No one gets along with each other. The running back is competing with the quarterback and the coach is not getting along with his players. The Bible says, blessed are you, peacemaker. Go on to that team and bring peace where there is no peace. We can make peace, amen? But we got to do our part. To live at peace with everyone. You know, the whole world, they focus and they shift blame on other people for the lack of peace in their lives. And some people are stressed out, strung out, and guess what? They blame others. Man, my parents, man, it's the reason why I don't have no peace in my life. It's, it's that last job, or it's the university, or it's the government, their stupid visa laws. Got no peace in my life because of them. And we just, they just shift the blame. But brothers and sisters, peacemakers, they don't shift blame. They take a close look at themselves first. And then they do everything they can to live at peace with everyone. Peacemakers don't try to change others to bring about peace. They learn to change themselves. They realize they are only responsible to change themselves. Now, as I've covered all these points, I got to spit the truth here, right? You can try with all your heart to live at peace with everyone. But the truth is, it won't always happen. I'm sorry to discourage you. It's not going to happen all the time. Now, does that mean man, I shouldn't even try then? No. Okay. But we do have to have a sober judgment about this thing. It's not going to always happen. This is why the, the word of God says, here in verse 18, it says, if possible, live at peace with everyone. And so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This, this if tells us it's not always possible. And so far as it depends on you means that God simply wants us to do our part to keep the peace. And if it doesn't happen, don't feel guilty and don't fret about it. Your spirit-filled efforts to live at peace with everyone will not always result in seeing people transformed and seeing relationships become peaceful. 
Some people are, you know, just too stubborn. They're too hard, and they may not change. No matter how good you're to, how good you are to them, no matter how many cups of coffee you give them, they may never change. This is when we need to simply accept the relationship as it is, and if necessary, maybe even to put some distance so that their negative patterns don't affect you for the rest of your life. But check this out: you cannot separate yourself from them until you have first tried to make peace. Well, well, I know, I know, I already know. It ain't gonna work, so I'm not even gonna try. No, you must first try to live at peace with everyone. And for those who just won't respond, that's when you just accept it as it is, and you move on. The reason why we try to live at peace with everyone is not to achieve the goal of living at peace with everyone. Is somebody hearing me in here? Because if the, if our if our goal if, if if the reason why we we try to live at peace with everyone is to try to get peace with everyone, we will become people pleasers, and we won't we won't know how to stand up for the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God brings division. By the way, Jesus said, "I am not come to bring peace, but a sword." Whoa, that verse sounds like it just destroyed my whole sermon. Okay, no, Jesus is not trying to destroy my whole sermon, but He is saying. But you stand up for the kingdom, there's going to be some division, even within your own family. I shouldn't have brought out that verse. <laughs> I got, I'm like wrestling with it now. Oh, yeah, hallelujah. Lord, give me some revelation on that verse. But, yeah, they're going to be divisive. And, and, our, and the point is not to try to live at peace with everyone. The reason why we try to live at peace with everyone is simply because God commanded us to live this way. And if we do and obey God's commands, it pleases Him. Whether people respond or not, it pleases Him, and that's why we should do it. Just because it pleases God, because it makes the heart of our Father happy, that we're just living in His commands. Proverbs sixteen seven says, "When a man's ways please the Lord, He makes even his enemies be at peace with Him." That's powerful. That's powerful. Walk in the ways that please the Lord. Do the things that please the Lord. He'll make even your enemies live at peace with you. Now Jesus was a man who pleased the Lord. At his baptism, the Father said, "This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased." When Jesus was on the earth, everything he did brought pleasure to the heart of the Father, and he lived at peace with everyone. He blessed and he did not curse. He had a betrayer among his twelve disciples, and he knew it. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit revealed it at the last hour. He knew it when he chose the twelve apostles. He gave everyone a hug, and as he was giving Judas a hug, he knew it. I know you're a betrayer, but I'm hugging you. He blessed and did not curse. Second, he rejoiced with those who rejoiced. When Zacchaeus repented, he rejoiced with this tax collector that came back to the Lord. When Lazarus he he died, he wept, he wept with those who wept. Third, he lived in harmony, even though, as God, he knew that the Jewish system and the Jewish faith was just all kinds of bad things was mixed in with with Jewish religion. Yet he came 
in agreement with the Jewish customs and leaders. He didn't come and try to pick pot, uh, and try to pick apart every disagreement he had with the Jews. He grew up as a Jew, and he lived in harmony with the Jews, and he ministered, and and the gospel first went out to the Jews. He associated with the lowly. We know that he associated with the poor, the lepers, the prostitutes. He never took revenge. Jesus never took revenge. When, when Judas, that betrayer, <laughs> here's Jesus. He's like crying on the Mount of Olives and, and, and at Gethsemane. And he's just crying. And he knows he's dropping great sweats of sweat drops of blood because he's so anguished he knows he has to go to the cross and here comes judas with a big old smile and a whole bunch of jewish leaders with their clubs and their and their 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 torches and they're coming at him and jesus is like well i could i could beat them up a little bit before before they take me you know and peter had the right idea peter took out his sword and chopped off the servant's ear he said come on what you want you ain't taking my savior And even in that moment, Jesus said, put back, put, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword would die by the sword. And went up, he, he healed the servant's ear. Didn't take revenge. Even upon the cross, Jesus did not take revenge. Instead, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And believe me, Jesus will take vengeance. It just wasn't 2,000 years ago. He was also leaving vengeance completely up to God. Jesus, as a man on the earth, he was leaving vengeance completely up to God. And he took the price on that cross. And he did what is honorable, always. Even before Pontius Pilate, he spoke with honor. And brothers and sisters, we as a church, we should speak with honor. We should give honor, not because people deserve honor, but because we are honorable. We need to become a people of honor. Jesus lived at peace with everyone. Jesus knew that not everyone would want peace with him. He knew that the Jews and Jewish leaders would demand his crucifixion. He knew that those who experienced his goodness and love and miracles would turn and say, crucify him, crucify him. He knew all of these things, yet he lived in peace with them. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. What pleased God the Father, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, was to bruise His Son. And so the son said, yes, I shall take this punishment to bring peace to these people. Why should you live at peace with everyone? Well, you have received the greatest peace of all. And that is peace with God. A God of justice and vengeance. A God who is holy and hates sin. A God who demands punishment for wickedness and evil. And every hidden thing that is done. Jesus took that punishment 
so that you can have peace with God. Why should we live at peace with everyone? Well, Jesus has given us the greatest peace of all. The cross not only inspires us to live at peace with everyone, it enables us to walk in the ways in which he has commanded. Jesus said, my peace I give you is not like the peace of the world. Brothers and sisters, we can live at peace with everyone. We can follow that principle because you guys have inside your hearts the greatest peace of all. And that is peace with a holy and just God. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you praise for the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. We just thank you, God. That although we were the objects of your wrath and judgment, Jesus took that punishment to give us peace. And by the cross, we have full and complete peace with the Father. God, we just thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We just thank you that the cross is not just an example and an inspiration, but the cross is the very grace that enables us to live at peace with everyone. Even when other people mistreat us, our enemies persecute us, God, we can bless them. We don't have to take vengeance. We can give them cups of coffee. We can pray for them. We can live in harmony with those around us. We can make those efforts. Because we know that those efforts, they bring pleasure to your heart. So God, we just thank you so much. For you have filled our hearts with incredible peace. And it's a peace that the world cannot give. It's a peace that cannot be taken away. And we just thank you so much for that peace. Even when things in life get stormy, even if the world gets crazy and full of tribulation, we don't ever have to lose our peace. Because, God, you are with us and your spirit is in us because of what Christ has done on the cross. So we just thank you. We magnify the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.